Welcome to the Get Deep Podcast, where premium spirits meet quality conversation. Featuring your extremely good-looking co-hosts, Aaron Jones and Wes Otto. Now, take off those floaties, get your ass out of the shallow end, and let's get deep. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Get Deep Podcast. Tonight is going to be a fun one because we get to go a little more personal than normal. Tonight we have Molly Jones. And if you're trying to put one and one together and make two, you got it. That is Aaron Jones' wife. So I'm sure we're going to get into Molly's history, maybe a little bit of what Aaron doesn't want out there publicly. It'll be fun. So thanks for coming on the show, Molly. Thanks for having me. I am a little distracted. I'm not used to seeing such beauty on the other oh, side gosh. of this table. I tell you what, I don't know if I'm able to focus too much on the, during this episode, Wes. <laughs> well, I'll have to keep you on track like normal. That's nothing different. All right. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Hi, wife. Hi, husband. Hi. Thank you uh, for coming to join us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so tonight we are going to get deep with my wife. That sounds terrible. And awesome at the same we, time. I mean, we could. <laughs> and we're going to talk about uh, what she does, which I think is very relevant in today's world and very needed. We're also going to talk about, of course, I'm sure Wes will have some curveball questions and comments about our marriage and relationship and all that fun stuff. But just you remember, Wes. <laughs> What goes around comes around. I'm very fortunate I don't have anyone for you to drill or ask questions of. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. No, this will be good, though. Thanks for coming on the show, Molly. Have you done a podcast before? I have. What was that podcast? Uh, The Cultivate Minnesota podcast. Oh, that's the daycare. Mm -hmm. um, Cool. Yeah. When when was that? Last April of 2021. Oh, so they've been doing that for a while. Mm -hmm. I have not listened to it. Well, you'll have to tune in. I will. What was the, was there a specific topic that you came on or was it just personal or? I was talking about what I do for a living um, and cultivating, well, the title was Cultivating Healthy Minds in Early Childhood with Children, something like that. Well, and you work specifically with children, don't you? Yes. Yep. Well, great. Where do you work? I work for Counseling Services of Southern Minnesota. Oh, that's right. Nailed it. Quite the mouthful. It is. CSSM took me a while to get it straight. And Molly is, what is your title there at CSSM, Molly Jones? I am a therapist and I specialize in infant and early childhood work. So I work with the children, birth to five, mainly. Okay. So when it's an infant, I'm very curious, what kind of work (laughs) is is being done with an infant? (laughs) Yes. Well, we have this really great like way of getting babies to talk before they're supposed to. Oh, yeah. Magic. So, yeah. It's pretty much magic. <laughs> What's their favorite word to say? Oh gosh. Um, therapy. Oh, <laughs> therapy rules. Therapy rules. <laughs> <coughs> that works. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, so yeah, we're, I get that question a lot actually. It was how do you do therapy with a baby? Right. Um, but when I do therapy with a baby, it is never uh, with just the baby alone. I'm never alone with a child in the room by myself with a child under five. Sure. Um, Including our own kids, by the way. We do not allow our kids <laughs> to be in the same room with children, birth to five, which is both our kids. Continue. <laughs> um, that's not true. She probably wishes that. 
<laughs> she yeah, had that wouldn't be a help. bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, all the help. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when when we work with a young child, we identify the child as the client, but the parent or the caregiver, whoever's the caregiver for the child, is the agent of change. Mm. And so it's really partnering up with the caregiver to help make positive changes with in the child. So the therapy is not totally directed towards the infant as it is the caregiver's relationship with the infant. Exactly. Gotcha. Yep. That makes a lot more sense. Yep, because I was picturing you <laughs> sitting there really trying to have a deep conversation. <laughs> but I suppose that's not much different from when you first met Aaron, right? Like, it's exactly the same. Identical. Exactly the same. I needed his mom there for that, too. <laughs> Love you, Mom. That's good. Uh, yeah, it's probably about right, depending on how much whiskey I had. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Some <laughs> slurring words early on. Lots of drinking and dating. Mm-hmm. So I'm impressed, though. I, I have to um, say, when I heard you on the Cultivate podcast, you were talking about what you do. And I listened to it. And even though I live with you and ask you questions, and so sometimes you like to elaborate on what you do, a lot of times you don't like to talk about it. I get it can't really say names and talk about specific situations for HIPAA laws, of course. But um, there was some interesting information about, uh, obviously, parenting and how parenting can affect uh, children and how important it is to parent early on and all the way through, of course. But talk about that a little bit. A lot of people have this opinion that kids you know, oh, that's good. They won't remember this or they won't feel that or they're like six months old. It's fine. You know, we don't have to worry about that until they're, you know, three years old, you know, and things like that. But studies coming from your industry or your industry, your profession are saying that kids have memory, right? Body memory or other other type thing. Can you elaborate on that? Oh, you do listen to me. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> yes. Wow, honey, that's great. Yeah, so I mean, we know that children develop through relationships. And so that primary caregiving relationship is really, really important. And so when there's a rupture in the relationship or, you know, there's a stressor of some sort or there's a trauma or something that happens that um, uh, interrupts the development of that child, then they can become off track. And then that's when they come to me. Or come to us, and we help that child get back on track developmentally. Is that what you asked? Yes. <laughs> what kind of stressors do you mean when you say that? Could that be like family divorce, or um, I mean, do young kids remember those type type of things? Yeah, that's what you asked. Um, yeah. So memory, uh, actual, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the memory that we can you can recall a time that you had doesn't start until about 18 months. Um, but prior to that, a child remembers through their body's experiences. And so if there's something really stressful that happens, like the loss of a caregiver or um, neglect situation or something really big and scary happens, abuse, um, their body actually can like recall that from happening. So it affects how they develop throughout childhood. And so Again, if there's that rupture, then we can help get them back on track through the relationship with the primary caregiver. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense when you break it down like that. I'm amazed to hear that the actual situational memory starts at 18 months. I would have Mm -hmm. guessed much older than that. I don't know if you guys have any memories from when you were under two years old. I actually do. Do you? Because I have a trauma. So when I was 
about 18 months. I maybe was two. I don't remember. <laughs> um, Your body does. Though. My body remembers. My no, body I don't. I don't. Okay. So what I remember is I was um, at, we were at a family friend's house and I was crawling up a uh, ladder going up into a tree house. And the girls were much older than me that I was hanging out with, went down the ladder face first. And so me being young and daring, yeah, I wanted to walk down this ladder face first as well. And so I remember walking down it, I fell and mm-hmm. broke my clavicle. And then I remember running into the house. And that's all I have of that memory. But I, that was a very... Well, I can understand why you'd remember that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's basically Remy's age, our son. I mean, yeah. he's 21 months old and you're saying you were somewhere in that vicinity. Mm-hmm. So, and I can imagine just looking at Remy and experiencing Remy every day, that would be an impressionable thing if he were to really hurt himself. Because you can tell when he has those experiences now. Mm-hmm. Where he's afraid, you know, he has body memory where he's afraid of something that maybe it hurt him in the past and he'll, he'll, yeah, it, he'll kind of shy away from it. It needs to be a significant uh, event in order for it to be, you know, right. create a crinkle in your brain to remember a it. A crinkle. A crinkle. That's a technical term, right? I love, I love that. Super technical. <laughs> no, I really do. I love that. I, um, that makes me think even more about my sister and I. We grew up, we're very, very different kids and mm-hmm. I think we were different from the womb so before any experiences but my sister had heart surgery Mm. um and she was having the issues that brought on the heart surgery i think right around the 18 month age Mm -hmm. um and i i think we've always known as a family that that probably had an effect on her Mm -hmm. you know growing up and and her personality and how she operates both from a relationship standpoint but then just on a day-to-day basis her needs and how she communicates and all of that but um how often is that is that a very common driver when there's medical situations too and what Mm -hmm. do you see when people have when young children have medical conditions at the age of 18 months Mm -hmm. um what is the common traits that come about because of that you know they're handled by doctors they're separated from their caregivers more often than most kids they're in these kind of scary sterile environments mm-hmm. yeah um well one thing i was thinking too when you were talking was about how that affected you and how having a sister with medical issues and the parent your parents probably had to put a lot of energy and attention into that situation and what that was like for you as a child and how that affected your i was the younger so they so had you, gone through most of that okay. before I was born. Sure. There was always, even during my younger age, there was always a little bit of concern about, is there something that's going to flare up? But it mm-hmm. wasn't It wasn't the stress that it was because it wasn't happening when I was around. Sure. So you weren't even born yet? No. Yeah. She's oh, okay. six and a half years older than me. She oh, had gotten sure. through her surgery and everything by the time she was two years and several months. Got so. it. Okay. Um, so to go to your other question, my youngest client, well, not youngest ever, but one of my youngest clients was two and she came in, she actually had been diagnosed with cancer. When she came to me, she was cancer free, but, um, she was showing symptoms of just very like fearful of going to the doctor and she would throw up in the car on her way there. And, um, yeah, like just, you could just tell she was very anxious about, uh, doctor situations. And so we had to what you do with a young child like that is you play through what happened and you just play it over and over and over. So we got out the doctor kit and we had a little baby and we talked about what happened and what she went through and what the doctors did. And, um, 
you know, through that process, you have the caregiver doing it with you and you teach the caregiver how to do that with the child. And then it's kind of like getting, it's like talk therapy with adults. You know, we talk through something and we kind of overcome it. It's the same idea with children. Sure. That makes sense. Kind of, um, probably somewhat similar to phobia Mm -hmm. type of situations where it's exposure therapy in a way, right? Kind of. It's giving them a story because what happens with young children is if you don't give them a story to what happened, they create their own and oftentimes it's false or it's wrong, it's incorrect, or there's a lot of like self-blame that they put on themselves or whatever happened or like around the people around them. And so really it's, yeah, putting an accurate story from front to finish. This is what happened and helps them make sense of it and um, also put feelings to what happened. That's a big piece of it. And like this made you feel this and this made you feel this. And then like talking about how to cope with all of those feelings. And this might be a very weird side tangent, but do you ever have a parent that does something like that with their kid, but creates a false narrative and it's not, um, it's not accurate and that creates issues? I think uh, there are definitely parents who are weary about telling their children what happened or like they have this fear of if I tell them what happened, then it's going to make them re-experience it and it's going to bring up all these feelings again. And really it's what, it's the opposite of that. Like it's actually better for the child to to go back and talk about it because they're already, they already experienced it. Like, you know, you have a big experience. Of course you rethink about it over and over. And so do children. And I think a lot of parents think like oh they'll just forget about it or if we don't talk about it it's done it's over with but it stays with them too um so i mean mate i guess maybe i guess i wouldn't know if if they were i guess i was just imagining if you had um maybe an abusive parent situation and mother had some guilt about that because Mm. the husband was the abuser and so they created a false narrative to not only assuage the child situation because they thought it would be better for them, but also put them in a positive light. So actually a lot of our work with young children is parent alone work as well. Mm. So before we even like dive into the story with the child, there's a lot of like prep work done with the caregiver alone. So it is going into that, like what would be hard for you about talking about this with your child or, um, yeah. So it's a lot of digging deep first for, the parent try and get the true story before you yeah in order for them to be able to tolerate their emotions when they're with the child because they have to be regulated in order to get through that you know story too because if they're dysregulated then the child's dysregulated do you feel like there's a line so if parents struggle to regulate their child or help their child uh regulate themselves i should say or teach them regulation emotional regulation um, that those are things that are kind of passed down, you know, um, through the line of uh, families. So, you know, g- grandma and grandpa had a tough time teaching it to par- your parents, for example. Your parents have had a tough time teaching it to you about self-regulation or mm-hmm. emotional control or maybe hiding emotions and burying them deep inside is like a family thing where nobody wants to talk about it. We love each other, but we don't talk about shit. I think there's a lot of families that do that, including a little bit of my own. Um, so can you touch on that a little bit? Is that a, is that a real thing that it, it kind of follows the line, the lineage? A hundred percent. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I think um, a common misconception is that parenting comes naturally. Um, 
but really parenting is learned. Like we parent the way we were parented, uh, unless we consciously do it differently. And so if there's something that you like experienced in your childhood that you're like, I didn't like that. I don't want to repeat that with my children. Then you're going to consciously do it differently. But there are so many things that we do subconsciously that we learned from our parents. Um, and that could be things like, you know, mad, being mad is not acceptable. And you might not like consciously say that or know that, but it, you, you demonstrate it like when your child gets mad and you dismiss or you suppress or you distract or you try to get them away from that feeling as quickly as possible. Um, so yeah, a part of our work as well is to help parents, um, discover those things that, that they don't necessarily want to repeat or the things that are not healthy to repeat. And then we, um, repair that and we do it different, help them to do it differently. That's going to help the child development and their emotional regulation and things like that. <clears throat> what do you see if I had to put you on that spot for a second? Cause that's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> um, so what's, a, what's a really common thing that parents do that you, you know, clients of yours, parents do, uh, maybe even we do it as, as parents, but that you see done so often the way we handle a situation, the way we, um, manage our kids' emotions, whatever it is, what's something that's super common that you now know being in this field for so long that it's just such an, it's such a common, I don't want to say mistake because we're all learning, right? We're all parents, but mm -hmm. what's something that you see all the time that you have to educate parents on or the caregiver on? This is how we need to handle that situation to help this kid in the best way possible. I think a really basic one is saying it's okay. Like when a child is crying it's really like, it feels natural for a lot of people to just say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Don't cry. It's okay. Um, and the intention is good, right? We want to help the child know like, oh, this is a, a situation you don't maybe need to cry about. But what we're doing is we're sending the message that what you're feeling is not okay or that it's not okay to cry. Um, when really what we want to say is, are you okay? Um, because a child crying is a signal that they're not okay right and so like when we say it's okay it's okay it dismisses that you're okay get up you're get okay you're okay you're fine yeah. you know mm -hmm. yeah yep well and you mentioned regulating um are you supposed to respond to a child in the same uh, close to or try and come up to their level or energy of what the situation is or are you always supposed to keep an even kind of level tone or does it uh -huh. is it situational what do you think I, I personally would probably keep a level tone. Yes, so. yes. So in order for a person, any human, to learn how to self-regulate, they have to learn how to um, learn it through a relationship. Modeling. So it's, co it's called co-regulation, and that's how we develop regulation. And so in order for me to regulate with you, I have to be calm and regulated within your dysregulation. Um, so same with a child. If a child is dysregulated and I come in and I'm dysregulated, it's just going to escalate. But if I'm, if my child is dysregulated and I come in and I'm the calm bringer of the calm and I, you know, say whatever I need to say to deescalate, de then yes, that's going to teach how the child how to regulate their emotions. And so instead of saying you're okay, you're okay, or it's okay, it's okay, stop crying, things like that, because I think parents get frustrated, stressed, mm -hmm. and also embarrassed. You mm -hmm. know, if a kid's throwing a shit show in the middle of the grocery store, 
you know, and because they want the certain cereal, you know. It's okay, be quiet, stop crying. We're not going to go to get ice cream if you keep acting like this. You know, things like that. It's so common. And if people listen to this, I'm not ripping on parents because, again, we have young children and a toddler. Well, and sometimes so, you just got to do what you got to do. To survive. Yeah. I see no changes. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up in the morning. Okay, Tupac. <laughs> um, so what is a better way to operate? You know, in those situations, like you said, you, obviously Wes was talking about getting, you know, being a little more cool, calm and collected and getting down to their level and all that and helping them regulate. But is there a, a power phrase? Is there something that's maybe a little more beneficial instead of you're okay or okay? Is it, I, you know, getting down on your knees next to them and saying, you know, it's okay to have big feelings. Um, I understand you're really upset with me right now. Like, how do you, how would you prefer or how do you suggest people talk to their kids like in those situations? Uh, yeah, so kind of to preface that, I will say, again, we're not going to always say the right thing 100% of the time. We're human. You know, we, again, have those subconscious re reactions and it's okay to say the wrong thing sometimes. Um, but yeah, just kind of like what Wes was talking about. If we come into the situation super calm and that's the first step is if you're not, you have to figure out a way to regulate yourself first. So that means, you know, if you have to walk out of the room, if you have to take a deep breath, if you have to do 10 jumping jacks, you know, whatever it might be, take a shot of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> is that Aaron's strategy? It I is. just want the insider. Yeah, it is. I saw the eye contact on the She knows shot as of soon as my eyes gloss over that I'm ready to talk. That's just a shot for I'm like, though, hey, right? Kids. That's not a shot for the kiddo. I love you all. Yes, not for the kiddo. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, let's let's clarify that. <laughs> CPS. Yeah. <laughs> the shot goes to Aaron, not the kids. There you go. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So once you regulate yourself, and then you yep get down on that child's level, and you say. I mean, mommy's here for you. We're, it, I think of it as like a we. We're in this together. We're going to figure this out together. And children just need to know that they're not alone in their emotion or they're not alone in whatever is happening, their experience. And so I'm here with you. We're going to figure this out. It's okay to have big feelings. Look, at, you're already doing it, Aaron. I, you know, I don't have a cheat sheet in front of me, you guys, but I am <laughs> married to a therapist. So I, I did have some things I have learned. <laughs> I'm impressing her because she doesn't think I listen to her, but I actually do. Well, these these are really helpful tips, even for us in the restaurant management space. I think Aww, uh, I they're think. holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. Well, I felt like he was going to say something about our relationship. I, so I, I wasn't, but I felt like I had to reciprocate <laughs> the handhold there, so I was just going to keep going. We should also tell him you guys almost kissed before we started. Well, yeah, we did, <laughs> and I'd like to say it was an accident. But I'd be lying. I think it was Freudian, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as long as we're talking therapy here. Yeah. There was some sort of connection. Yeah. Uh, but where were we? Well, so, I was just making a joke at my, my employee's <laughs> expense, saying that <laughs> some of this child therapy is helpful <laughs> in the Zans management you know, mm, yes. realm. It, well, it's all, I mean, I pull from attachment theory. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it definitely can improve your relationships there you go wouldn't you say it's accurate i i feel like it is in my opinion but i have never asked you this but don't you feel like every one of us is just really honestly a big kid oh at, sure at heart and we the emotions that we have today um or more more emotions that we've learned or suppressed and we have to yeah. uh, absolutely go with this particular route because we got to get through life the way it is right as as adults you got to navigate the waters but we're all just kind of big kids who a lot of us haven't 
still to this day learned how to regulate emotions and we do with of course delicious alcohol which i like but people hide suppress emotions or feelings or um deeper thoughts and things like that do you do you feel like that's an accurate statement a hundred percent we we learn how to regulate our emotions and we learn like truly like how we're going to um Um, I can't think I can't think of the word I'm looking for like how we're going to behave and be as an adult from birth to five and that's why early intervention is so important because um, we can make a lot of change for a child when they're an adult well and that's a that's a really good question when is is it the zero to five range that's really the most formative Mm -hmm. for how they're going to be for the rest of their lives yes See, you said that so eloquently. <laughs> he did. He's really good at talking. Well, I just had to summarize. You already said it. So, um, because, yeah, that's, I mean, wow. If you've, if you've made some major mistakes early on. <laughs> you mean, are fucked. That's what I was kidding. just going to yeah. say is, wow. You know, there's, there's, I'm sure there's things you can do, of yes, course. But yes. at the same time. We can always important. repair. That's why there's therapy for, you know, 6 to 10 and 10 mm-hmm. to 15. I mean, there's therapy for every age. You can always repair. So, yeah. yeah. Good. So jumping back, obviously you're a smart cookie and you've got a lot, of, a lot of knowledge and you impress me when you talk because you are full of knowledge and you're oh. beautiful. Oh. I'm going to keep throwing these out there throughout the whole podcast. You're just trying to earn some points over here. Oh, I am. <laughs> it's recorded Absolutely. though, so it's in the books. It's recorded history. <laughs> so why did Molly Ray Jones get into therapy? I why, was going to ask Why? That. The, I mean, we should have asked this earlier, but that's okay. We can jump back. It's what we do. Um, I want to know your origin story, your hero story. Why, why, why therapy out of all the... Yes, we should also talk about timeouts. Remind me. Okay, we'll talk about timeouts. Because that's important. That's well, That was a thought that came to my head when you were talking about big kids. Do you want to hit that first? Talk about it, yeah. Okay. Hit that first. So, um, I'm trying... <laughs> <laughs> now we stumped you. <laughs> you were ready to talk about yourself. <laughs> I'm not good at talking about myself. I'm a, I'm a really good listener, hence being a therapist. I just don't talk about myself very well. Um, not that this is about myself, but what I was thinking of talking about... Oh, okay, so when we were children, um, using timeouts was very common. Did your parents use timeouts? Yeah, occasionally. It wasn't super frequent. You are very like emotionally intelligent, so... That yeah, with sense. me, and that's what I'm saying, is my sister, very temperamental. Me, oh, very chill. See? So. They figured it out. Well, I was going to, I don't <laughs> want to, we'd go on to a third topic here, and we're trying to get through two already, <laughs> but I have a question for you on nature versus nurture, but we'll ah, get to that sure. in a bit, too. Yeah. Sure. So, timeouts was very common in the 90s, and what are, you know, very normal to use for parents. And so, um, but really what is unknown, or it's not unknown, <laughs> it's... Um, new knowledge is that timeouts are actually not effective. They're an effective behavioral intervention, but what it teaches the child is um, that that behavior was not okay and that emotion was not okay. So an example I like to use is um, Sally and Tommy are playing with trucks and Sally takes Tommy's truck and Tommy hits Sally and your knee-jerk reaction might be to remove Tommy and put him in a timeout for hitting Sally. 
But what that does is that tells Tommy that was not okay. And whatever you're feeling around this situation is also not okay. Cause now he has to regulate on his own. And again, if a child doesn't know how to regulate on their own, they're not going to know what to do. And they're going to do things that are either harmful to themselves or they're going to learn this feeling isn't okay. So then when they're an adult, they're going to have anger issues or they're not going to know how to uh, manage their anger. But what happened was Sally took his truck. So he was mad, right? He was pissed. Justified. He was, yeah. yeah. So what we have to need to do is what we call now a time in is what we teach a lot of parents. And so what a time in is, is, um, taking Tommy out of the situation because obviously he's dysregulated. He's upset. He's hurting other people. We don't want that. We don't want to send that message that hitting is okay. So we remove Tommy, but what we do is we stay with Tommy. And so you have that co-regulation opportunity. So you are with Tommy within his dysregulation. So again, you're bringing the calm and you're helping him work through the mad that he has from what, what um, from Sally taking his truck. We always say, you know, the hitting is not okay. We set a boundary around the hitting and then we manage the mad. And then once the child is regulated, then you can have the opportunity to teach and say, next time when Sally takes your truck, if that happens again, you can do this X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. So yeah, time ins are in, time outs are out. Have a conversation. Don't just parent using the wall right exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. or okay. yeah figure it out on your own sit in that corner gotcha. right. it makes so much sense i think it's just so you know it's so much easier to take the the easy roads with parenting the the least um what am i trying to say what's the the, le- the, path, the path of, le- of least resistance thank you yeah. the path of le- least resistance uh when parenting because you're just trying to get through it mm-hmm. and so it's easy to go to your room or stop crying or things like that and i'm guilty uh, of some of these for sure too. You sent Remy to his room? I haven't yet, but <laughs> I'm sure that I probably will. And then I'll stop and I'll say, actually, time in, get your ass back here. Let's talk about this. And then I'll have to regulate myself and then get down to his level. And then we'll probably just end up eating Oreos. Let's be honest. <laughs> but well, on that same topic, let's, let's make some old school people a, bl- a little bit upset. Spanking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love, I love the reaction. Giggity, I giggity goo. <laughs> Tell us about spanking. We're well, not asking about you now. Either. I'm going to ask okay. you. I, well, I was. I was. I thought we were moving oh. on to the the bedroom portion of. This. Oh yeah. Well, Molly no. and I, we are both in on spanking. <laughs> no, we're for not each other. <laughs> oh, not okay. for our children. So, if I need to repeat that, I will. For those who might get offended. Ah, that might be anyway. <laughs> Enjoy it. This is the Get Deep Podcast, and we have freedom of speech here in America. It's a beautiful thing. So, continue. Spanking. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, spanking is another behavioral intervention. And so, really, what we do in our work is we are targeting the emotion. So, when a child does something undesirable or something that we don't like, Typically, there's an emotion behind it. And so by spanking them, again, it sends the message, what you did is not okay, what you feel is not okay, and it adds a level of physical harm. Um, So I would not advise it. And I knew that would be the the (laughs) answer. It was just such an easy tee up because that's still a conversation today, obviously. And there's a lot of folks that I feel like take the road of, well, I was spanked. Mm-hmm. I turned out great. I'm real happy with myself. Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. Um, and cool. Yeah. Good. But not necessarily the case for everyone, which is why that's not 
considered a, a best practice of yeah, parenting right. at this point. We actually right? have a lot of parents that come in who maybe were abused by their parents, and the abuse that they are providing uh, providing or doing towards their child is actually lesser than mm -hmm. the abuse that they received. And so in their minds, they're like, I'm doing it differently. I'm not doing what I had. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really is a big deep dive with those parents right. about like what is going on with from, that. From a clinical or from just your work uh, standpoint, is spanking from a, a punishment standpoint considered like a borderline abuse abuse like where does that fall in the spectrum so if you told me you spanked your child and i reported it to cps because i'm a mandated reporter they would it well it depends on where if we're talking about butt mm -hmm. okay yeah so they would screen it out in the state of minnesota the only um way that you cannot harm your child with physical punishment is punching in the face or hurt hitting in the face or slapping in the face. So if, sure. if a child tells me they're, they were hit in the face, then they're going to be screened in. But if like you use an open hand on the shoulder, if you use an open hand on the butt, if you use an open hand anywhere on the body but the face, it's going to be screened out. Okay, and screened out meaning that that's not going to be considered abuse. CPS isn't going to get involved. Right. Okay. Right. Just wanted to make sure for folks that don't know, <laughs> screened in, screened out. Oh, gosh. <coughs> <laughs> Back to spanking to in the topic that we really want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Should we dim the lights? Get the music going? A little Barry White? <laughs> okay, nothing's going on. What I, we want to go back to your origin story. Oh, yeah. I okay. want to talk about that because, <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we'll leave the, the bedroom stuff till later since, you know, we'll, we'll do another, another drink and shout out to our sponsor and all that fun stuff. Hey, the, the sunset looks really beautiful, by the way, if you guys can see it. Um, beautiful. It's... I've got the perfect spot for it. It's gorgeous. Just like you, Molly. Thank you. Third one. So third points. one. Build up to five. So many. Um, so I know your origin story about why you chose therapy as a profession, but I will preface it with this because I think it's funny. Uh, according to your mother, shout out to Mary Hildebrandt, uh, sweetheart of a lady. She's actually watching our two children right now. So thank you. Mill, mother-in-law. Thanks, Mom. Uh, she said that you went in to college. You were a blue gold at Eau Claire, uh, ready to study education. Mm -hmm. And then you decided to switch into business. Correct. Because, quote, I don't want to deal with children. <laughs> <laughs> and now Molly is a psychotherapist who works with children from zero to five. So I think that's really funny. I don't know when that changed. Maybe you want to touch on that. Maybe you just want to gloss over it and, and maybe suppress those emotions. That's not healthy, by the way. <laughs> but we can talk about it. Um, but I do, I do want to know why, why did that switch happen and then um, why you ultimately came back to therapy? Sure. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Awesome. Um, I feel like it goes like way before me even ever being in college, um, some of my life experiences. But I was the middle child of two of three. So I have two sisters, one older, one younger. And so when I was, th that's a whole nother ball of wax of like why we, uh, personality traits are born based on like where you are within your family lineage. Um, and so middle child, very um, normal for the middle child to be like the the people pleaser, the one who's like trying to make everybody happy, the one who's um, 
the peacekeeper. And I definitely was that. And so I was always, always, always called the glue of my family because I was always making sure that everyone felt good and was happy. And so I just had this natural, um, quality about myself of helping others, um, that started very early. And so when I was a teenager, I started working with a young gal with Down syndrome. I was her personal care attendant and I loved that work that I did with her and I wanted to do more of that. And so I knew that social work was um, an interest of mine very early on. So then when I went to college, I had this like rebellious streak inside of me of like, I'm going to go against what I know is true and I'm going to go for elementary education. And um, part of the reason that I actually moved out of that was my um, degree was more in beer drinking. Hey, you. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so I wouldn't have made it into the school of education. It's a very difficult um, school to get into. And so I decided to switch my major. And rather than switching to social work, which I knew I should have, I switched to business. And um, yeah, that was just <laughs> silly. What was the game plan? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, again, I think I just literally was like rebelling against the universe of like, I'm not going to be a social worker. But you knew it all along that that was the, that was the route. That was the plan. Yes. And then, at, so I did a semester of business. And then after that, I switched to social work, which put me on the five-year plan. So. It's better than most MSU students. They're on the six and a half year plan. So. <laughs> That's legitimately, no, not to knock on MSU, but that's legitimately the 51% average of graduation. What? Six, and a, Six and a half years. Wow. Harvard on the Hill. Yeah. That's go. what Matt calls it. He's yeah. like, hey, I graduated from Harvard on the Hill. Yeah. That's my buddy Alec used to call it the Harvard of the Midwest. That's great. Yep. I did that's get great. my master's there. So You did? Shout out to the Mavericks. There we go. Go yeah. Mavs. Go Mavs. Master's in social work, correct? Yes. Master's in social work. Jonesy and I here both uh, proudly did not graduate, but our alumni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, maybe someday. Maybe someday. I'll get... Uh, it's not... I, well... Mm, it's not worth it. <laughs> no, <laughs> not for us. I'm not saying for other professions I, or other. I think it's great. You know, we've got those uh, 529 plans started for the kids. You know, there if they want to go to school and, it's good and study to have options. Yeah, great. Right. You know, it's it's great. It's wonderful. I I've always been intrigued by business and you know, entrepreneurs and and I uh, I love that arena. So it's great. But I also love people that are professionals and who have skill sets that are uh, beyond me and that can teach us things like. Um, this beauty across the table. <laughs> Four times. Four. <laughs> All right. There we go. Oh, man. So can we touch on, um, so you, you talked about, were you done with your origin story? Yeah. About, I mean, is that what you wanted to hear? I also wanted you to talk about um, the tornado oh. and how that affected you. And isn't that where you were first introduced to therapy? Yes. Like my own personal experience. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. what I want to get into. Because yes. someone didn't. I didn't know that there was a tornado as a part of this story, so that yes. was kind of a funny thing. It's pretty thing. important. I know this is you know, a twist of uh, you know, conversation here. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. Um, there you but, go. No. Uh, I want you to touch on that because I think sure. it's important for people to hear that side of it and how it, it began for you. Were you alive <laughs> when the tornado <laughs> happened? I was, I was newborn-ish, right? What year was it? 1998. Yeah, I was five years old. Okay, so do you remember it? 
No. I, I remember some of the news stories, maybe. Sure. So there was a, a series of tornadoes that got close to St. Peter again in yes. like the mid-2000s or something. Mm-hmm. Those I remember. Oh, I remember those live, too. we live up by Bethany and we can see all the way over to Casota. Right. Cool. So. Well, and at that point it was real. Like, you know, you hear those sirens, it seems like hundreds hundreds of times and nothing happens and i think people get desensitized to it yeah. and then you have one happen yeah and, and then all of a sudden it's like okay yeah this, one of the things they happen. told me in therapy was tornadoes don't happen in the valley so it's not going to happen again oh mm. and then it happened again not not great yeah. therapy yeah. <laughs> get over it yeah what kind of therapist did you have they tell you to, it's also okay and you're okay <laughs> Probably. Oh, and go to timeout. Right after spanking you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of this. Who was uh, this But no, yeah, please talk about your uh, the tornado story with your family. Sure. So I'm from St. Peter, born and raised um, till I left when I was 18 years old. Um, and so March 29th, 1998, there was a big, nice F5 tornado that came through the city. If you're from Mankato or St. Peter area, you know about it. You probably have memories of about it. Most people have a story around it, too. Um, except for Wes. I'm too young. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. He was just sitting at the family restaurant eating Chilitos. <laughs> Still to this day. Um, yeah, so my family's home, we were... Um, it was just me and my two sisters and my mom and then a friend of mine. We had just finished a choir concert. I was in the Mankato Children's Choir, and we had a concert that day. It was a Sunday, and so we had our concert, and then we um, drove home. And what I remember is that there was a lot of fog on the river, and the sky was green. And so um, we got home you know, late afternoon, and then the sirens started going off, and being from Minnesota, you know, you experience the sirens going off every now and then. And so we kind of took it as a joke and we were like, oh, we have to save the cats and we have to save our Hanson posters and we have to save the cakes because my birthday, it was actually the next day. And so I, we were like gathering this stuff and we were just being silly. You know, I was 11, so um, silly kids and we were grabbing stuff and we went downstairs and we were listening to Robin do you remember? Shout Ooh, out to Robin. Robin. What was her big um, hit again? Show me love. You keep Come singing. Show me she's, life. She's a good, she's a good singer. <laughs> that was. That she's was really good about it. Um, we had this, like, my dad made us this stage, and we were dancing on the stage to Robin, and probably Hanson was on at some point because we loved and still love them. Um, well, anyway, so we're down there, and um, I'm pretty sure the tornado actually struck around, like, 530, and... Um, what I remember is all of a sudden the lights going out. What are you doing? Sorry. I was opening this bottle. Oh. <laughs> I was trying to be as quiet as possible. Continue. Okay. Um, the lights like went out, so it got pitch black. And of course, you know, we're in a basement, so it scared us all. And we are all scream and we all huddled around my mom. And she always describes it as like little chickens coming around the mother hen. Yeah. Um, and she like shuffled us into our sauna. Um, and from there we were, so we were in the sauna and we could hear these like booms, just loud booms. I never heard a train. A lot of people who've experienced a tornado say that, but I didn't hear that. I just remember hearing booms, like three really big ones. And so after, you know, however much time passed and we exit the sauna, there's water like dripping down 
the the shower that was just outside of our sauna and my mom she didn't say this out loud but after the fact was like oh that's not a good sign you don't want water dripping through your house and we walk up the stairs and there's just like like it would look like there was just like forest outside of our back window like you there was just trees everywhere and then we walked into the kitchen and insulation everywhere and then we walked into our hall and you could see the sky and so um most of our our roof was just blown off and then there was the tree the front tree we had a big front I don't know what kind of tree it was but it was a big tree and it had fallen on the corner of the house and so unlivable it was destroyed <laughs> I thought maybe we were doing a moment of silence. I didn't yeah. know for the house. Yeah. She no, just that's... stopped and stared at us. Yeah. Goodbye, yeah. house. That, that would be freaky. And how you you were 11? Yeah, I turned 12 the next day. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, first of all, happy birthday to you. Thank right? you. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that would be traumatic, right? Mm-hmm. So that was uh, a part of your experience, and, and you had some trauma from it, I would assume? Yes. I had trauma anxiety that is has been lifelong but afterwards I went to therapy and I probably went to like six different therapists because I did could not find one that I liked um and honestly when I became a therapist I was like therapy doesn't work it's um I don't believe in it uh I kind of just fell into it and now I definitely believe in it I just obviously did not find the right person because I think that's very important too so was most of your anxiety around weather-related events, and, or was it bigger than that? Was it the idea of your house could be uprooted at any time kind of trauma? That's a really interesting question because it evolved over time. It started out that I was very, very, very fearful of the weather. Um, like I couldn't have the weather station. Like I would be flipping channels, and I couldn't even like blip on the screen. So my parents had to like turn that channel off. And then eventually I became obsessed with the weather and I had to know what the weather was. And so I called the um, KRBI every single day, (laughs) 934-3220, to find out what the weather was going to be that day. Um, I think my my anxiety and fears revolved around death because then I um, was very fearful of my mom leaving me. I couldn't like I would literally have to breathe into a bag because I would have panic attacks every day when she would leave to go to work. We lived in my grandma's house after the tornado while our house was being rebuilt. And um, yeah, so I was very fearful of that. And then I was I couldn't ride on buses because I was afraid that the bus was going to crash. Um, so I didn't go on lots of school um road trips what are those called uh field trips <laughs> field yeah. trips yeah. yeah i uh stopped going on those because i was scared of um yeah so buses. A, lot of, a lot of fear lot of because fear. of that yeah how did it affect your siblings um you had one on either side i so. did let's see so i think one of my siblings was more like internal she internalized more and just was like i'm fine i'm good um and then both of them actually probably were more that way. My young, my my other sibling was more of like, I don't know. I was more of the externalizer of like, this is scary and I hate life. So, and <laughs> is that just because of who you are? You think? I think so, and I think of also just the age of what when it happened. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my older sister was 14 and then my younger sister was 10. And so I think when you're becoming a teenager, you are, when you're a teenager, you learn about like, um, the world being a scary place. And I think that it was a little bit premature for us. And so we got a big slap in the face. The world is a scary place lesson prior to being a teenager and how like you naturally go through that. And so I think that, um, yeah, it was just, it kind of just scared us slash me. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the road like to get to a place where things were much more normal <laughs> and that wasn't, and, and I don't, I hope normal isn't a bad word in normal that sense, but you know word. what I mean? Um, I think it was, I mean, it was a big, long journey. Um, but I, I, when I, like I said, I didn't believe in therapy because I didn't like any of the therapists. I didn't like talking about it. I had ones who would make me draw about it or talk about it. And I was like, this isn't helping, but I think I was too like triggered by it. And so that's why when we do therapy, you have to help the person regulate first in order to, when they do talk about it, they can regulate their emotions about it. And I just don't think that the therapist that I worked with went about that the right way. Um, and honestly, I don't even remember who they are. But um, when I was in college, I think that was partially why I like rebelled against my drive to be a social worker was because I was like, it doesn't work or um, those who can't do teach kind of thing. Sure. Um, but then when I finally decided to become a social worker and then eventually become a therapist, I was like learning how to help myself while I was learning to help others. And so it actually was really beneficial to take that road of becoming a social worker. <laughs> I, uh, do, you, do you think um, that most people in your profession, Molly Jones, are drawn to that profession um, because they've had experiences in their lives similar to yours or in the same um, ballpark as yours? Or do you feel like most of the time the therapists and friends that work in the same industry as you are drawn there for a bigger purpose of wanting to help for the greater good. I think it can be both. Um, but I also think like a lot of people that are kind of like a lot of people who are alcohol and drug counselors have been struggled with that themselves. I think it's very similar is that you are drawn to the field because you, you have experienced something difficult. And so, yeah. Do you think it helps? to have experienced some sort of trauma or some sort of difficulty in your past in order to at least have some baseline of relatability to someone that needs to be sitting in the chair across from you? Yeah, I think so. Um, Obviously, I haven't experienced a lot of what comes through my door, but I think that it can... um, provide uh, like a re- yeah like a relatability or like perspective empathy. perspective empathy yeah, yeah. all yeah. those things that can be really helpful within a therapeutic relationship do you do you still get shocked here and there when you have a client that comes in i i mean there's got to be some crazy stories um especially negative stories about child abuse and uh, sexual abuse and uh foster kids that get thrown to multiple houses and you know i know some of this of course from talking to you um but does anything really shock you anymore or do you think you're just so desensitized from being in this industry for so long that it's just kind of another day um we should probably put like a trigger warning on this episode (laughs) so your listeners don't get like triggered but um i think that absolutely i think that's a actually 
par- partially I was worried that I was too desensitized at one point. And then one day someone brought something in that made me cry. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like I st- <laughs> still have empathy and I still can um, be affected by this work. Um, because yeah, you do hear a lot of really scary and sad and awful things. And so I think there is definitely an aspect of desensitization and you have to have that for your job so that you can talk about it day after day after day. And, but, uh, um, I mean, yeah, I'm a human. And so there's definitely things that are really awful that I hear that I'm like, Oh wow. Didn't haven't heard that one before or like experience or things that come through the door that are like, Oh, how are we going to work through that? Because a, a aspect of therapy too is as you do it more, you get better at it because you have a similar experience come through the door, and you're like, "Oh, I know, I know this. I've heard this before. I can help you work through this." But when you know someone throws a curveball at you, like my dad was would dress up as a clown and chase me and try to sexually abuse me. Like, I mean, that shit is scary, and that stuff comes through the door, and then you're like, "Whoa!" Like, I didn't expect to hear that. Is that a real story yes. or did you ma- oh wow yeah so wow. there's some awful things out there now i know you can't say but it wasn't aaron right <laughs> i mean i know Wes, he's big into clowns but west i'm no sorry i should not make fun of anyone's story because that is yeah <laughs> i know we we do keep things pretty light in the get deep podcast so i know except for today joke. but but <laughs> no that's that's what's crazy is is um there are stories like that out there and it is real and it's not just a movie it's not just a show and it's real life the the question i would have from there is are there certain things that you and your therapist friends um company things like that you look for certain signs in the community like with children right like you teach people to look for signs of kids who are going through abuse or bad situations are there are the things that we as common common folk should be looking for signs you know what i mean like uh obviously it's pretty obvious to say bruises on bodies or something like that for a child going to school but are there other things that we should look for as far as emotionally um in kids to do you understand where i'm going with yeah, this yeah is it, is it i do symptoms am I, correct and and maybe that's a really difficult no, I can answer topic, that question. But yeah. I mean, there's lots of, de- I mean, it depends on what the abuse is, but I think like that's why we get a lot of referrals or that's why a lot of people are uh, mandated reporters like school teachers and daycare providers and things like that because they also look out for those things because they're with children for so long, a big part of their days. Um, shout out to Chankaska because Wes needs more alcohol with this conversation. <laughs> Do you want us to to take a break? Sure. Okay. I feel like this is really deep. Molly's asking for a break. <laughs> so, yes, we will take this moment to make a very nice shout out to our fantastic drink spirit sponsor, Chancaska Creek Ranch Winery and Distillery. Distillery. We had John Taylor on the podcast not too long ago, and I missed that uh, a couple times when talking about Jen Casca about the distillery portion of it, and so he made sure that I I, uh, got that in there. So now I will never forget. I actually have it in a tramp stamp on my lower back. So Let's um, talk about your front stamp. Let's not. (laughs) Maybe after our shout-out to Jen Casca. So if you haven't been to Jen Casca... They are a fantastic winery, uh, distillery, 
Um, the grounds are beautiful. They, they've just got amazing product, but not only is it about the product, I can tell you from being a business owner as a retail clothing uh, provider, it's not just about the product. It's a big part of it, but it's the ambiance, it's the environment, it's the grounds, it's what you provide, the customer experience. And Chankaska has done a, rent, a really, really great job of that. You walk out there. Well, if you walk out there, you're going to be on the highway for a bit. But you drive out there, you walk in, and <laughs> and uh, you can you know belly up at the uh, the tasting room bar area, or you can walk into the spirit room and get a delicious beverage. Uh, I typically like to read a couple things off their menu here um, from the spirits area. And let's hear here. Bootlegger Bloody. You can do a bourbon sour, a Chankaska Bulldog, a Distiller's Manhattan, which I really, really want to try. Um, the Mosher Mule, Negroni, Old Fashioned, Sunkist. I mean, they've got so many things. They may have even changed this, the menu since I uh, have had this one. But And if you're really a fan of their items, you can also join the Wine Circle Club, which is quarterly, or the Ranch Road Circle Club, which is monthly. And they'll pick some awesome, awesome options for you. So... Thank you so much to the crew at Chankaska. Um, we surely appreciate the partnership. and uh, They're going to start doing events out there now that it's warmer, too. You're so right. There's going to be live music out on that patio by that bonfire. Mm-hmm. You can fire just pit. imagine that evening, summer evening vibe. Molly probably gets weather. Really, she probably gets really annoyed with me because I always talk about their bonfire pit with the veterans. Oh, he's obsessed. I am. I want if a there was a place to conceive a baby, <laughs> he'd be there. That would be the place. I'm sorry. It's, well, it's just too We perfect. are done. So done having children. You. So it's go for it, Wes. Well, I Wes, just I Wes, need a willing Wes, participant. Wes, Wes. <laughs> there you go, folks. Mom would love it. You know, Mom was telling, I think, Aaron or one of my buddies at the last Christmas party, I don't care who he knocks up, I need a grandbaby. <laughs> and I said, Mom, maybe we don't go around advertising. <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks. So send in your applications for <laughs> Wes Warner Auto at getdeep.com. Or getdeep.net or getdeep.org. <laughs> we got them all. <laughs> don't just search Get Deep on the internet. It might lead you down a rabbit hole you don't <laughs> want to go down. Well, and I would love to get into the newborn baby and go down that road. But before we do, I had mm-hmm. left off with a nature versus nurture general yes. prompt. I'm very yeah. curious the therapist take on nature versus nurture because... Even though my sister has gone through those experiences, I believe even before those experiences, there were stark differences between who we were as kids. For sure. So I'm very curious. um, If he's adopted. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen that. You know, there's a picture of my dad and it it was black and white. And I'm like, when did you take a black and white picture of me when (laughs) my dad was five years old and I looked at me at five years old? Two identical, which is scary because I don't want to look like him now, but (laughs) love you, dad. (laughs) (laughs) sorry anyways back to you molly yeah so i think that there will be stark differences between any child and parent relationship regardless of how many years in between because of nature nurture (laughs) nurture which one is that keeping us on our toes here (laughs) um because of attachment relationships because we formed attachment with uh, we form attachment relationships with each person. So like uh, Remy, for example, will have a different attachment relationship with me than he will with Aaron, just based on nature and how we were raised and how like um, he parents versus how I parent. So just for my layman's brains, attachment relationship versus relationship, help me out. 
Oh, so every relationship you're in is an attachment relationship. So like, especially with children, there, any relationship has an attachment to it. Okay. It just depends on which type of attachment it is. So it could be a secure attachment. It could be an anxious attachment. It could be a disorganized attachment based on how that person responds to you when you're upset or when you have thoughts or when you need them or, you sure. know, if you learn from your dad, like, um, like if he's inconsistent, if sometimes he's really nurturing and lovely towards you and then other times he's scary and big and mean, then you're going to have more of that disorganized attachment. But if you're, if you have a caregiver who's anxious, like if your mom was anxious, you're going to have more of like an anxious attachment with her. Sure. So our relationships span with attachment all over, depending on how you also were raised. And so like my attachment relationship with Aaron might be secure sometimes and it might be anxious sometimes, depending on where you're at within that. Yeah, whatever you're feeling. But anyway, so yeah, to answer your question, I think nature and nurture play a big role, but I think nurture is huge. Yeah. Well, to go back to the attachment piece of that, it sounds like at least, especially when you're a child, you're mirroring the relationship itself mirrors the person. Mm -hmm. that you're, but then when you're older, I imagine it's not entirely mirrored on the person it's actually a mixture of your own personality correct and a mirror of, of yeah. that person right yes for sure yeah okay. and it, it teaches you like what am i to ex what am i going to expect in the world are people going to be there for me or are they not going to be there for me and so that's part of the repair that we do with caregivers and young children is showing child consistent structure and responses and how do we um be there for them consistently and so that they know that people are going to help me when I need it. Because there's some children out there who don't think that that's true. Gotcha. Okay. Good Based on the relationship they have with their caregiver. That was a <laughs> tough situation for me. I'll just share a personal experience with our son, Remy, who's uh, 21 months. He'll be two in July. Love you, Remy, when you're <laughs> listening. Shout out to Remy. Shout out, kid. <laughs> uh, dinosaurs rule. And... I love you. Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, so when he was, you know, you hear so many things. It, it, there's so many messages about, you know, uh, when the kid is crying, for example, at, at night, you know, going to bed, for example. And our, our, kid, our son sleeps really well now. But early on, you know, it's kind of like, do you let the kid cry, cry it out, go to sleep? Or do you go and um, attend to those emotions, you know, give the kid a squeeze, hold him for a little bit, maybe sing him a song or her a song? and then lay the child down after they've been regulated and give them an opportunity to regulate themselves or alert, you know, teach them how to regulate. That was a little bit tough for me, you know, because not that I necessarily remember my parents just, you know, uh, tossing me in the crib and being like, good luck, see ya. You know, <laughs> not like that, but at the same time, it was tough for me because I felt like, okay, they got to learn how to self-soothe, you know, self-soothe. And I feel like that might be a tough thing for a lot of new parents, you know, like let them cry. They'll cry themselves to sleep and all that. But Molly has always been an advocate, uh, my beautiful, wonderful, sexy wife across the table. Um, has, thank you. Uh, has always kind of told me like, you know, it, it's important to be present within their emotions, help them regulate, to show up, to be consistent. And that, that was kind of a change for me. I, I feel like it's kind of more natural now. For me to to do that, um, 
but do you have anything that you want to share on that with like new parents? I have quite a few clients I talk to and we have friends that have babies, a lot of babies in our personal life. Anything you want to touch on with that that you've learned? Well, I feel like that kind of goes against the sleep training method. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there who believe in sleep training and that's totally fine. And I think, um, you know, you do what works for your family and you do what works for you. And um, so I think, but what I think is like, again, that goes back to that co-regulation is a child needs to learn how to regulate their emotion through the caregiver. And so if we're just letting a child cry it out in their crib for... X amount of hours. I mean, what is that teaching them that they have to figure it out on their own? And that's when, you know, in extreme cases, we can see things like headbanging or um, rocking um, and things that the child has to figure out how to calm themselves when really they need a a person to come in and just rock them and help them and rub their back. What can that cause according to studies in your arena that can cause into adulthood or into adolescent phase by not being attentive to those feelings? Well, in, I mean, super extreme neglect cases, it can turn into reactive attachment disorder, which... And what is that? It's a, a disorder where you you don't even seek out relationships anymore. It's almost like you're you just, like, you recluse from people and you're just... You scream and you run and you make a lot of damage and it's, just, it's awful. And then as a adult, you're, you have borderline personality disorder where you, um, reject relationships, but you also crave them. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's extreme, very, very, very extreme. So like leaving your child to cry in their crib for 10 minutes by itself is not going to do that. That's not where I'm going with this. Um, so I think there's a balance. I think there's a balance between teaching your child sleep training and also like being present so you can do both at the same time um again that's a very extreme neglect situation but it's an but it's an interesting one because there's probably more people than we think in this community that we live in no that's a very rare disorder that one is yes like children who are severely neglected where like orphanages and like they're sitting in days after days months after months with no nobody caring for them okay Well, I had a flash to a couple of people that I know in my life that I feel like maybe I just gained some additional insight on, (laughs) at least on the borderline personality disorder, not to be (laughs) mean to anyone, but just hearing that uh, explanation as being one of the drivers um, Mm -hmm. maybe gave me a little insight. I don't have the full picture. I'm obviously not in the shoes to make that judgment but. i think yeah. we're therapists now Wes. we've learned quite <laughs> well, a bit tonight stunt monkey is the one that said it this is like therapy right yeah he did, we're he did say there. that he leaned back in the chair and then he said this is like therapy and i flipped off that light and got it dimmer in here and mm-hmm. then it really was like therapy <laughs> hey stunt if you're listening to this episode by the way we still need some of that stunt munch in here it should be the official yeah i was hoping there would be snacks here Yep. Yeah. We when's the the sitter ready to leave? When's mom <laughs> done? Because we might have to get some food. Should we go get him? Let's go pick up. Let's go to Stunt Store and knock on his door. There you go. Demand Stunt Munch. That'd be great. <laughs> that would be great. Um, I think it's a admirable profession that you're in. I think it's so needed. The the one thing I wanted to make sure I touched on too before we were done tonight is. The stigma of therapy in general. I know that your specialty is birth to five, and that's fantastic, and it's obviously needed. But um, it's also needed in adulthood. You know, people should think of, in my personal, humble opinion, 
uh, being that I've experienced a little bit of therapy in my life, um, I think it should be looked at as more of a, you know, people have their annual physical or they, if they're younger and maybe they have a physical every few years or maybe five years. Um, I personally believe therapy and talking to somebody and getting those feelings out should be something that's a part of your wellness plan. Um, I'd like to know your opinion on that. Number one, why is it, um, let me ask you this. Do you feel like, first question, do you feel like it's still as much of a stigma as it has been in the past? Do you feel like it's getting better as far as the word therapy? Is it still kind of a taboo word that people are afraid of? Or do you feel like it's getting better? Question one. Um, I think it's definitely getting better. I think mental health in, in itself is just becoming more uh, aware in the community, in the world, um, and how to take care of yourself and self-care and all of that sort of thing. Um, but what I always tell people is like, what is it like, if it's not going to hurt you, then why not try it? Like if it doesn't do anything, okay, fine. You give it a shot and not no harm, no foul. But if it's has the possibility of maybe you learn a nugget or two, or you feel a little bit better, like why is that going to be a bad thing? So yeah, I definitely think that therapy can be helpful for everybody, even if you don't have trauma or you don't have something in your history that you're like, oh, I need to talk about that. Like it's just bouncing, it's using someone else's mind to help you think through things. Someone who's neutral, someone who's not in your world. Um, so yeah, I think it's helpful for everybody. Well, and that almost makes me think a little bit about performance coaching, which is something that I've considered, you know, it's it's kind of, and I'm not talking about the bedroom, Aaron. I know that's where your mind went. Yeah, again, I went there. But <laughs> I was definitely, definitely thinking about the um, professional, um, you know, execution side of things um, mm -hmm. that's something I've considered exploring just to see what blockages exist what you know just talking through things are always super right. helpful and I've usually had business partners right lately I haven't had a business partner so it's me bouncing it off of Jones or you know the friends wall. and stuff like that and that's good too but mm -hmm. when you have someone that maybe has extra training in that space I think that that's an added plus that's a benefit so the show I do agree. The other question I had related to that is, and I've heard this multiple times, um, I won't name names, but I've got male counterparts in my life that um, when therapy has come up or our clients and I've talked about therapy or they find out you're a therapist or just conversation life, a lot of males seem to have this idea that, you know what, fuck therapy. I'm not, I'm not doing that. All we're going to do is go see a therapist, which would you say that the, I don't know if this is accurate or not, correct me if I'm wrong, percentage-wise, female to male therapists, would you say that it's a, a oh, little bit yeah. more of a female-dominated profession? For sure. Okay, like give me a percentage. Oh, I don't know. We'll just throw one give out us, there. Give us it's the okay. actual numbers. No, we're going to grill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you say 80, 20, sure. 70, 30? Sure. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, regardless, she said, you know, it, it's it's very female-dominated industry, which is totally fine, right? But I think the problem with a lot of males, whether it's, you know, marriage therapy or marriage um, uh, counseling or couples therapy or things like that, is the problem is the guy goes into that situation assuming he's already defeated. Why would I want to go into that situation when the therapist, a female typically, is going to just take my wife's side? I'm not saying that's accurate, but I'll tell you one thing. I've heard it more than a handful of times. I don't agree with it because we've been through it ourselves, Molly. 
we had the wonderful gift from her parents of premarital counseling, and I thought it was a really great experience, even though we it did dredge up things to talk about that challenged us. And I thought it was wonderful, and it, it, it gained respect on that on that topic. But do you have anything to say about that? Like, why is there any way to change that stigma that guys think? screw that, I'm not going to therapy with my wife to work on our relationship because all they're going to do is take the woman's side. Well, first of all, I think it depends on the therapist that you're working with, whether they're woman or male, on whose side they're taking. Um, going to someone neutral, like someone together, because if you go to my individual therapist, then of course like my, my therapist is going to have a bias maybe. But if you go to someone new together, then hopefully that that therapist is not going to have a bias. And I think about, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Well, I just. Oh, I, th- I think it goes back to when you're in your childhood and are emotions okay to have. And I think that that's a more common thing with men is that emotions are harder to have and talk about. And so, you know, a lot of men are not. Uh, yeah, a lot of men like don't feel comfortable even in those situations. It's we're just going to talk about feelings, and so that again goes back to what you believe or what you feel and learned about emotions. So everyone should go to therapy. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that's that's a good one. Well, I mean, it makes sense you'd say that, Molly. It's uh, what do you say, job security, right? I was just going to say, just trying to. <laughs> Using that one semester of business over there. Yes. Trying to drive some business. <laughs> semester business. Although she does work with birth to five. So oh I gosh. mean, yeah. Yeah, that's not a lot of our audience. That's for sure. No, that's not. I was going to say, have you guys ever seen, there's a, I think I saw it on HBO, but it's on Showtime. It's called Couples Therapy. Mm, I have not. So that one's kind of a fun one. There's a female therapist that works with different couples. I'm pretty sure it's New York City. Um, and you get this whole video based process of the actual therapy sessions Mm. and um i don't know how that changes it for those couples right because i'm I'm sure that there's a self-consciousness but you don't really feel that when you're watching the show and i highly recommend it if you're into anything related to psychology which i'm a fan um but the thing that i found really cool is that that particular therapist that was the star of the show had a therapist that she went to to work through the cases Right. Oh, so yep. she was just bouncing off. Well, this is the struggle. They're having this. They're insecure about that and mm-hmm. getting additional thoughts on the case. And it was fun because they would capture those conversations, too, and give you a holistic view of the practice and understanding how therapists go about their their work. And I'm sure that's not universal for everyone. Oh, but no, we know, definitely have we have lots of checks and balances like we have supervision and mm-hmm. um as a licensed clinician, you have to have at least one hour a month. As an unlicensed, you have eight hours a month of supervision. So you go to your supervisor and you, and that could be in a group situation too. We also do case consultation. So like we, we all get together around a table like this and we talk about cases mm-hmm. and you are required by DHS to do that. So like you, you're not alone in your practice. You have to consult on your cases because, um, yeah, I mean, it's a huge deal of (laughs) working with people. And so it's, how do I, like if you're stuck or if you have a situation where you're like, how do I go about this? It's the perspective again. Yeah. Yeah. You bounce ideas. Yeah. So if anyone else is 
interested in going deeper, it might be, I mean, it's very couples focused, but they get into a lot of those formative year kind of things. Mm -hmm. Hey, you have this problem in your relationship because when you were four years old, this is your relationship with your parents. Right. Well, and I'm not an expert on everything either. So, you know, if I have a situation that comes in and I know my colleague so-and-so is really knowledgeable in that area, it really does help me to go talk to them about what would you do in this situation? Help me, blah, blah, blah. So makes sense so Mm -hmm. couples therapy that's the name of the show for anyone that's interested cool couples therapy and that's on what uh showtime hbo maybe both okay definitely showtime okay wow so does anyone want to know what it's like being married to aaron jones that's what i was hoping we were going to get into i've been (laughs) waiting patiently to end the show here uh i uh i gotta get going i uh should we have Aaron leave the room or should we sure, make him no. listen quietly? <laughs> you can listen quietly. <laughs> I just won't say anything. You tell me how wonderful it is. I already know. <laughs> you, I yeah. think, Molly, you accused me of being his second wife or his work <laughs> wife or something. I don't, I don't know what it was on social media, but I got a kick out of that because I've gotten to know him a lot better oh, since yeah. launching this podcast. Yeah. But give me the first person perspective. Well, when I was very pregnant with our second child, Aaron was running off to hang out with you. I know. I'm sorry. And thank you. Quite often. So that's why I said that. Yeah. Um, as you were launching your podcast. But um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's what I think would be really cool. And Aaron, jump in. But um, how often do you have the opportunity, no matter who you are as a couple, to record <laughs> your story oh, of how me. you met? Oh, I love this story. Right? So how cool would this be? Let's get this recorded. Let's go through it. Whoever wants to kick it I, off, can well, kick it off. But go ahead, babe. I'm going to tell the story. So we were introduced actually by our siblings. So my sister, Katie, worked and still does work with Aaron's brother, Andy. And so they were actually friends for many years prior to Aaron and I meeting. And um, so I knew Andy for a few years before I ever met Aaron because I was that little sister who would run around with her biggest sister and go to, you know, hang out with her and her friends. And so the first time that Aaron and I officially met was when I would, I think it was like 2011. I don't actually know the date because we were both dating other people. And um, I went with Katie to hang out with Andy at Aaron and Andy's house at the time. They lived together. And so me and my significant other and um, Katie and hers and Andy and his. And then um, Aaron showed up with his at the time. And you were wearing a fedora that night. (laughs) Damn right I was. (laughs) I love that detail. Man Um, alive. What was I thinking? I still wear a fedora every once in a while. You look good in a fedora. Um. So we're all in the garage, and we're sitting around this big ping-pong table. Was that a ping-pong table? It was a ping-pong table. Yeah, we were, had chairs around it, treating it like it, just a really large rectangle table. Yeah, and fun story about that night, someone grabbed a dragonfly. Andy did. Did he grab it out of the air? Yes. It was liter- It had the wingspan of like six or eight inches. Jeez. Like this dragonfly was Down south. It was huge. It was, it was probably like four to five. No, it was six to eight. We were all eight. drinking, so, you know, things... It was, hey, it was hey, large. Hey, Aaron, be regardless. glad if she embellishes on inches that much. You know, <laughs> you're right, Wes. It was 16 inches. There you Continue, go. Molly. So Andy grabs this dragonfly out of the sky, and I don't know if he said, I will eat this if you pay me, or we said, we'll pay you to eat it. 
Anyway, like 80 or 90 bucks ends up on this table and Andy literally ate the dragonfly like a chip mm-hmm. live. He threw it in his mouth and chewed that bitch up. He did. Well, Some fear factor shit. So my brother Ooh. was synonymous in his high school years. And when he did this, I mean, this was Andy and I owned a house together for seven years on Tyler Avenue in Lower North Mankato. Shout out Lono. Heyo. Um, <laughs> And it was great, but uh, in high school, he would go to parties and eat spiders. What? Like, he would just do it, because he was just a weirdo. He'd get some drinks, and he'd be like, how much you give me to eat this spider? And he would gain cash. Now, it's not something I would do. It's fear factor shit that always made me squirmish. But, uh, yeah, so basically, we were feeling good in that garage, and and, um, I don't remember. I think we all just offered. I think we all just offered to throw in some cash and he he said yeah i'll 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 do it we told him if you're gonna do it you gotta chew that thing like you know for like (laughs) 10 seconds or something before we pay you and he of course did it and it was gross as hell what do you say it tasted like uh, you know, no, this is not part of I your really, honestly, I feel like he, I really do not honestly remember. I don't remember. He, he said, said something. He I was like, oh, it tastes imagine. like blah, 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 but I don't I can remember. Only imagine. Well, fast forward anyway. then, I would say a year. I don't know the exact time frame, but a year later, well, so. I thought the dragonfly was going to play into your story, but no. now we're skipping. We, just we call <laughs> our daughter. That uh, was her just, middle name's Dragonfly. <laughs> <laughs> that that was just the first night that Aaron and I actually ever met. Was okay. that night that so a- Andy we were, ate the dragonfly? We were fly. dating other people, but yes. we kept winking at each other across the no, table. No, we didn't, but okay. we were dating other people. That was actually the. But then, <laughs> then, 2012, I again tagged along with my sister to another party at the Jones household, and it was Andy's 30th surprise birthday party, and I had broken up with my significant other, so had Aaron, and. Actually, prior to going to this party, it was a Saturday night, and um, Katie, my sister, had said, I don't want to go. I'm I'm pulling out. I don't want to go. And I wouldn't have gone without her. I was like, well, how am I going to meet people if I don't go or if we don't go? Right. And so she agreed. And so we went to this party, and um, we were sitting in the backyard or whatever, and then Aaron had come home from a wedding. You were at Christy and Matt Holt's wedding. Wow, I was. I left the dance floor early, and I love to dance at weddings. I left early because I knew I needed to get home to my brother's surprise birthday. Yeah, so he came home late, and uh, I met him again. Oh, I should also rewind because um, Andy and I were hanging out in Katie's garage one night, and he had told me that you were single. And he told me that I should hang out with you or meet you because he's you're quirky and I'm quirky. And I was kind of like, nah, man, not interested. And you said the same thing to him, right? Correct. Because he had told you, I know this girl Molly is single. And you were like, nah, not interested. Yes. <laughs> Something along those lines. Yeah. I just, I, I had been in a relationship for six years, so the I also was not like, oh, let me jump, jump into right something into right again. You know, yeah. I was like, I'm going to honestly play the field for a little bit, have some fun and whatever. And uh, she just gave me a really funny look across the table. <laughs> play the field, honey. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so anyway, to that night, Aaron comes home and then we kind of just like clicked. And Aaron was funny. I was funny. Aaron thought that I was hitting him with a plastic bat. Turns out it was actually his brother, Derek. And you go downtown, you lose your wallet. (laughs) 
you told me you would help me write my paper. I was in grad school at the time and he wanted to help me write my paper. And I was like, it's a social work paper. And he's like, I'm really good with social work. (laughs) And (laughs) the rest is history. Yeah. She jumped around a lot there, but basically (laughs) suffice it to say she was quirky. She had a good sense of humor and I, it was refreshing, uh, comparatively to what I had previously uh, in my relationship for many years. So I was attracted to her very, very quickly. Also, Wes and I are across the table from her at the OMG studios right now. And she's got really beautiful eyes. And that was the thing that I really... Stop closing them. (laughs) Open them up. Um, It's something that really attracted me to her. She had really, really beautiful eyes. And I just thought she was funny. And and she had a good sense of humor. So I I thought, you know what? I'm going to get deep. (laughs) So then we... we, we created the Dip, Get Deep podcast fast forwarding. <laughs> and there's two 18 years later. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I thought there was for sure going to be some sort of drugging incident or, you know, a roofie was involved. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that nice and pleasant. No, was. see, the, I should be thankful, uh, um, you know, for that tornado that came through St. Peter many, many moons ago because it caused her to have... Um, you know, a little bit of anxiety and uh, being willing to accept things that are lesser than what she's worth. Uh, and so, um, I was like, where is this going? I was wondering too. I was he kind of figuring out where I was, I was figuring out where I was going to go from there anyway as yeah. I went. Uh, I thought you were going to say you should be really grateful for Katie because if it wasn't for her, yeah. Molly wouldn't have went to the party. Honestly, yes. very true. Uh, yeah, Katie, very true. Katie and, and Andy really kind of kept planting seeds, uh, talking to us about each other and uh it, it, it's, it's pretty cool how that worked out i think it's funny that you both were like mm-hmm. on each other like when brought up and you want to know why i totally want to <laughs> know why i mean it's Go not, ahead, it's not obvious but please tell me anyways okay so we both have one mine yep, do. i knew that aaron had a one testicle I just outed you to the whole world. We can edit this, right, Wes? <laughs> <laughs> we sure can, although I don't think we can remove that tattoo in this office. Uh, so I knew that Aaron had True one story. testicle. Uh, remember I said the front tattoo? I do. He has a big yeah. motherfucking tattoo oh, above Molly, his... Oh, I've seen it. Oh, you have? <laughs> She's tasted it. <laughs> she, she For our listeners, yeah. he has a t- tattoo above his junk that says Uno. Like, it is not small. It is three inches tall, Three inches what wide. What are you talking about? Your Uno tattoo. <laughs> it is it's a perfect square. It is so big, and it's uh, <laughs> uh, uh, funny. So keep going. <laughs> I said I do not want to be with the man with one testicle and a bald head. And a bald head. I remember that. I actually forgot you made the comment about the the testicle situation. Yes, I was a young child who had an undescended testicle, and. So now I have one in my Sacagawea. The other <laughs> one did not survive uh, because it didn't drop. You can't, and that's how it goes. You can't tell that story, though, without talking about the sheer size of the one that's down, though. It's I an mean, egg. It's, it's massive. So it's you, an egg. Miley Cyrus's song, Wrecking Ball, right? That's you what heard I'm of that saying. Song? Yeah. She wrote that song after her and I had a couple uh, conversations over the phone. A few soirees, right? Yeah. Well, Aaron mm-hmm. would always tell people it was the size of a grapefruit. So, like, would. as a woman, like, why would you want that? <laughs> like, well, that's scary. I mean, I, I would say that. It's it can true. cause some damage. That's yeah. Sure. Yeah, like that thing coming at your face. Woo! That was a great sound. Well, about hell yeah. Just that. Now we're getting real deep. Oh, man. Thank um, you, Chan Casco. 
<laughs> yeah. again. Oops. Uh, it's the size of an egg. It's truly an egg, like in your hand. It is. She's done. The Can comparison. we give more detail to the audience? <laughs> it's really trying to visualize. Right <laughs> I think we're good. I thought Ooh. we were going to go there jokingly, but we're really. Oh, we're going deep there. On this. We're going there. So the bald head situation too. She she had dated a uh, gentleman before me, um, and he. It's funny. Okay, I'm five eight and and follow the challenge. The guy she dated before me it's a nice, uh, like is that. what was like six two, six four, six four. Sorry, and had a lot of hair. In fact, like an afro. Like an afro. So, like, I, if you try to nail down Molly for a type, there's no fucking type. <laughs> it's just like, oh, he's you know interesting. I'll just go that route. You know, that's the way I was. I like who I like. I just joke with her about I that, but can't speak to the last dude. But she clearly has quality taste and personalities, Aww. intelligence, all of the characteristics. Thank you. Well, they're matter. holding hands again. And it's happening. They're again. holding There's hands. Some kissing. That's oh gosh. Too. Oh gosh. Uh, and then I'll throw it back Molly's way because again we're getting deep. But the one thing um, that I really liked from the beginning, uh, again of Molly was uh, her ass. And then also her beautiful <laughs> eyes. Oh, I mentioned such that an important asset. It is. <laughs> you really got to keep an eye on it. It gosh. is. Well, Molly, from a very young age. Um, Hang on, you oh didn't God. say why you didn't want to date me. Yeah, that's where I'm going with that. Oh. Molly, from a very young age, uh, was concerned about um, her nose, and she's she never liked her nose. Now I'm looking um, at it, and she she uh, Give me a lady was self conscious about yeah. it, and it had a big bump in the middle. It doesn't anymore. Because Molly Ray Jones had a nose job, and I did, and uh, so she she made the comment about my baldness and my one testic my my one testicle, and I said, um, I'm, "Well, I really wasn't in the mood to date, to be honest." And I also she did have a pretty big schnapp. Shit, we are shallow. <laughs> that took me a second yeah can we say go no like we're shallow like we, well, we both didn't want to date each other because <laughs> you went there no so i'm just I'm saying back to i'm saying we're shallow people well we were at the time now because <laughs> we get really deep now well um, here's the thing that might have been like initial characteristics but everyone has some physical characteristics yeah they, they judge based on it didn't and i don't think that that makes you shallow i think it's just an initial baseline for how we judge are we interested based on right. some basic attraction? And it, but the fact that you guys ended up together and knowing both of you well enough to say this, you're definitely not shallow keep, because you picked each other for the right reasons. You know, you're right because even though we both had those things that we didn't originally like or right. want in the other, right. we still love each other. We do. Amen. And you didn't, um, it's something that she wanted from a very early age, like 13, 14, like 13 years oh, old, right? No, 12? like five. No? Okay. Like five. <laughs> so she was like, I'm getting a no jo nose job someday. And when I moved in with her, when we were dating, I mean, you didn't get that nose job done until six months before our wedding, six months before our wedding. Was that all? Yeah. Okay. And we got married in 2015. So just goes to show you, Hey guys, I'm not that shallow. I loved her for her. It didn't matter. <laughs> she wanted the nose job more than anything. I told before her, I met you. I told her it was fine. I said I don't care. This is if this is really what you want, I will support it. But I said, I'll show I you a picture, Wes, when we're you. done. Okay, you will be amazed. Well, I'll say that whoever did the work did fantastic work Thanks. because yeah. I'm not noticing it. So. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lot better. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. It, you know, the, the thing really about it is 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 proportionally to her her face, like. Um, and this is what her doctor said. He was a very talented guy up in, in the cities he did. He, he taught plastic surgery, especially for 
Um, students. Yep, for the students at the U of M. So he was like the main guy who, who did that. I can't remember his, his I name. I can't remember his name either. We should remember his name. But anyway, nice old guy. He was probably in his mid-60s at the time. Anyways, he, he just said, you know, the thing is, is people, none of us are symmetrical. And a lot of times you have a feature on your body that is larger in proportion to other features, which in my case is, of course, my penis. <laughs> um, but for Molly, three by three, we in, learned her, tonight. in her case, it... Her nose was larger than her face, really. It didn't really fit it. You know, it looked like she was a Mrs. Potato Head and somebody <laughs> took the larger <laughs> nose. All five points you earned tonight when we were kind of just out the window, man. Oh we're just going for laughs here. It's all sorts of fun. <laughs> People are still listening. Yeah, who is listening? Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Anyway, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, thanks for listening to the Get Deep Podcast. Good on that don't, 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 don't. I feel like, oh, man, we need to re-record this whole thing. No, we don't. <laughs> yeah, we do. We will listen to it, and then we'll edit some things if we need to. Um, oh, man. Anyway, long story short, uh, we end every podcast episode with something called the Fast Five. But sometimes, because we're lazy... We call it the fast two and a half. Um, I want the fast five. Okay, fine. You'll get the fast five. What does that mean? Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) This is Aaron's baby. Uh, So, Wes, if you have any things you want to jump in on here, that's totally fine because I'm going to do this off the cuff. Sometimes I write notes. Uh, This is my wife, so I will not. And we're going to go from here. Molly Ray Jones, born in 1986, March 30th. Question number one. If you could have any car in the world, what car would it be and why? A Lexus. And you're going to give me shit because I'm not a Lexus person. What does that mean to not he be a Lexus person? He always says that. I'm curious what that means. I don't know. This is not my question. This is Molly's <laughs> question. Okay, okay. Do you have a... Do you, let me ask you this. I'm not bougie enough. Here, here's what I'll ask you, and this will prove my point. Um, okay, what model of Lexus? Oh, just the cute one. There you go. Thank you very much, folks. Thanks gotcha. for coming. You say that when you say VW and I want a slug bug. I'm sorry. <laughs> just the cute but we're going to pay like an extra 40 grand for a car that she doesn't even know the models of. Oh. If it's a dream car on your dream board, you'll know the okay. model of it. Okay. And know anyway. Yeah. <laughs> West takes a drink. Okay. Was, yeah. Number two. I never said why, why it was great to be married to Aaron Jones. Oh, yeah, you didn't talk oh, about that. Was anyone curious about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like running Bunch this show over here. here. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. take over. We're, <laughs> we're clearly all over the place. So. You really want to know? Not really, but let's, let's, <laughs> uh, everyone else is curious now. I mean, why not? <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a long answer. Is that okay? That's fine. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. Um, hang on. Let me think. It's okay. The listeners have all the time in the world. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. You're going to be doing a lot of editing with this one. Sorry. Okay. So being married to Aaron Jones is wonderful. He's a wonderful man. He's a great teammate. Um, he is a very kind person. And anyone that knows Aaron knows that he's charismatic, right? He's charismatic. He's kind. He's funny. He's silly. And those are like all of my favorite things about him. And being married to him, like 
truly he's like that at home too. And he is a wonderful father. He is silly and he makes me laugh. Um, but I also think there's this side to Aaron that other people don't know about. And he's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous. Now I'm nervous. What side? Um, so he is very social, right? Like if you run into him on the street, kindest, most social person. But sometimes Aaron comes home and he's like socialed out. Like he's done. Like he's... Yeah. Um, He's like, I want to just be alone. I don't want to do it. And it kind of can sometimes affect his mood. And on the flip side of the coin, Aaron is also very, like he's a big dreamer and he's always thinking and dreaming and he's careful thinker. And he's, um, he sometimes like overthinks and, sometimes becomes hard on himself. And when he's in that mood or that space, he kind of like gets in this funk and it's harder to, um, and I, I know that everybody's feelings are fine, right? Like we know that it's okay to have any feeling that you're feeling, but it is harder to find him. Like it's harder to like connect with him when he's in that space. And I think I'm, Maybe I'm me and maybe Matt are two of the people that know that side of you. Um, but overall, being married to Aaron Jones is wonderful. That was very nice, and I intentionally did not say anything because you could cut that whole section out <laughs> and just <laughs> save I that as like that. a like an alarm wake up. Yeah, as to why it's it's great to be married to Aaron. I think that's really good for your ego. I um, no, it's very nice. I appreciate that, wife. Cheers. I love you, and you're also a very wonderful person. I love you too. I I do um really appreciate people and being in the businesses that we are and being a local entrepreneur just as you are, Wes. Um, it provides such a value and such a rewarding experience in life to be able to be known and to be able to have conversations with people that are willing to share their experiences with you. And I find that a blessing, and I also don't take that for granted. I feel like so many people are willing to come onto this podcast and share their stories with us, and so many people are willing to stop into our businesses and share their day with us whether it's a good day, a bad day, or just a medium day. And I think that's special. So my goal in life is to provide them with the most positive experience I can. And unfortunately, sometimes in life, when you are burnt out or when you hit that social roadblock, unfortunately, the people you love the most, my wife, my kids, my family, see the worst part of me and, that, and, and people. And that sucks and it's real. And... Um, I think that happens with multiple entrepreneurs and also multiple people in different industries. So, but I think what you that have to be willing to reset and you have to be willing to take a breath and you have to be willing to take a break and take a vacation or know and be rec and recognize the signs, um, so that you can go back and be a good person. I think that brings our podcast full circle too because what that teaches our children is that I will still love you even when you're not at your best. 
And that's what we want every child to know is that even when you're sad, even when you're mad, even when you're uh, don't want to be around people that I still love you at the end of the day. It's a safe place. Yes. Yes. Well, and I think that's a perfect way to segue to my question, which I think will be the last one to wrap up the show, which was going to be, and maybe we've already answered it. If something tragic happened and, and you both were unable to, you know, you passed away, unable to speak to Remy and Stella, Ooh. God forbid. Oh boy. This was the last opportunity what would be the words of wisdom, the the loving message that you would leave for those kids? Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. I think that oh, um, I love you would be a big one. And also, like, you are okay to do whatever you want to do and feel whatever you want to feel. And oh, that's a big question. I shouldn't ask it with so much alcohol in our <laughs> I know. So. No, it, 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 it's a great question. I, I think it's wonderful. Continue, honey. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I want you to know that I'm always with you. I think I, you know, we want children to know that, like, they are safe. They're remembered. They're thought of. I will always be with you in your heart. Um, on the days that you miss me and want me the most, like, I'm with you. Uh, you're safe, you're okay, you're loved. Oh, I don't know. That's, yeah, maybe what I would say. Aaron? What yeah. would you say? I think, uh, you know, obviously um, that I love them and that they're, they're both very special and that ingrained in them and their DNA is um, special ingredients that will make them into really great people. I think that their mother is smart and funny and beautiful. And their father, of course, is all the above plus a million other things. <laughs> and that they will survive and thrive not only by being good people, but by... Um, that they, that they need to respect themselves and then ultimately respect others as well. You know, if you respect yourself, you in turn want to respect others. Um, I also would love to tell them spend time in nature. It sounds kind of weird, but I have found my biggest um, realizations in life, uh, my biggest moments of clarity, my biggest moments of figuring out my downfalls and how to fix them when I take a moment to relax away from my cell phone and in silence away from conversations. I'm a talker and I'm surrounded by people that talk a lot, right? But when you go out in nature and it's just you and the woods and the trees and the wind and the, the beautiful sky and the, the, the beautiful state that we live in, you find moments of clarity. Long, long answer to that, but to take time to breathe and take time to relax and realize that this experience on this floating ball of gas in the sky is short and to not take it too seriously and realize that it does end. Oh, I have an addition. I think too, I would always want my children to know like you are good on the inside because I think a lot of us learn that very late or we have to teach ourselves that as adults. And so that is a big 
like thing that I tried to drive home with my kids is like you are have a good heart and you are good on the inside and there's so many things about you that aren't external that make you wonderful just the way that you are I melted a little bit just hearing you say that. That's really sweet. That's really sweet. She's well, good. See, I told you. Very beautiful. I so. had to think about it. Like that cu- that question caught me off guard. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to think about it. But I, I said to Remy the other day, I was like, did you know that you're good on the inside? And he goes, mm-hmm. It was so <laughs> cute. It is cute. It was so cute. Well, what a very beautiful way to end the podcast. Thank you for being on Molly and yeah. for putting up with this guy and for lending him to me throughout your pregnancy yes. and in the future because obviously this isn't slowing down but really appreciate it and I'm probably going to get you a gift just for borrowing me your husband so <laughs> often so every time I come get gifts right yeah there okay, we go cool, let's cool. do it that way <laughs> hey yo yeah thank you so much for joining us Molly Ray Jones and uh, we appreciate you all listening to the get deep podcast tonight Hopefully you learned something. If you have any other further questions or need to reach out to Wes. Yeah, Yeah, I won't be able to help with much therapy, but (laughs) feel free. (laughs) Don't be afraid to reach out to a therapist or talk to somebody that can help you with mental health. It is on the forefront. It is worth it. And you are worth it. Have a great night. 100%.